There are two things that are going on here, and they are central ideas, pivotal ideas, to the very subject that we're looking through, this idea of the walk of life. How should we live? What should shape us? What should, uh, what should be, the, if you like, the guiding, governing factors in how we should live? We want to live wisely, okay? We want to live, everybody, everybody in the whole world wants to live wisely, You might say, well, I look around and I see some people, they do not appear to be living wisely at all. And yet I would contend that they are living with a particular kind of wisdom. It might be a wisdom which is shaped by this idea. The idea that we we are here for such a short time and it is wise, although that word might not be the word that's used, it is wise to make the very best of every minute that we've got and just live wild. Just kind of get out there, do all the stuff that we want to do, make the most of it, doesn't matter the implications either on our, our body or our relationships or other people in the world. I want to get to the end of my days, even if they are a short number of days, and say, I lived it. That is, in some sense, trying to live in some kind of way which has a shape to it. There is a wisdom behind it. It I would argue it is a twisted, it is a perverted wisdom, but it is a wisdom of sorts. A wisdom which lives on the foundation that what we've got is the best we've got and we've got to make the most of it. What we've done up to now through our service, we've had two songs which have reflected on something else. They've reflected on this idea and that's where we come to this particular section of the Bible. They've reflected on the idea that Jesus of Nazareth was no less than the Son of God come into the world. When we read in the Bible, the whole of the Bible story, the whole of the Old Testament, building up to this moment in time, the whole of the New Testament, looking back to this moment in time, is bringing us to the point of realizing that uh, God revealing himself to us is the most significant event in the whole of world history. And it is significant because it is the visible presence of God for the In in significant terms, there are a couple of other occasions which we'll just uh, put to one side for now. It is in the moment in time where we see God present in the world, the only time since the point where God created the world, and yet it points to another point in history where the world ends and Jesus once again becomes present in the world with his people. In other words, this world that we are living in, this time that we are shaping ourselves in, is not everything. There is a greater something. There is the idea of an eternal God who made himself present, yet stepped away from this world because of our rebellion, yet revealed himself again through Jesus and ultimately is returning to reign in a reconstituted heaven and earth. Therefore, there is something else. There is another message which shapes how we should live. 
there is something else which says, don't trust your own inclinations, don't trust your own ideas. There is another idea from outside of this world which comes along and says, how about this? This is how to live. We've sung about it on two occasions already. In a sense, Jesus sat on a mountainside, which is what this is all about, teaching his disciples while others listen on how to live wisely in this world, how to live a life which is shaped in the knowledge of that living God. Now, I would suggest to you that firstly, that's got to be listened to if Jesus is who he claimed to be. Secondly, it is timeless, isn't it? It isn't contained just within those few hours as Jesus sat on a mountainside. It is shaped with the idea that Jesus is returning again, and therefore it speaks to us today. What has Jesus done up to now? He's basically, he said, the way in which you are to live is, is to be shaped by that truth. But it is to be lived out in this w- life, in this world, and it is mostly expressed, we've seen up to now, in our relationships. In our relationships in terms of friendship, in our sexual relationships, in our relationships in terms of marriage, in our relationships in terms of our attitudes towards those who we would consider enemies. In other words, Jesus is saying, in the light of my revelation, in the light of my coming, and in the light of my future return, live your life today with a, 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 re, a reconstituted attitude towards those around you, a reshaped attitude. What we see here is as Jesus enters into this next section, is we can see misdirected connections and correctly directed connections. Let's turn to our reading, shall we? First thing that we see is we say, Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corner and to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So here we've got this picture again that Jesus is saying there are, there are those who consider themselves to be religious. And one of the marks of religion is that religion has a world um, reward. It's a world reward. It's a reward which comes of being seen by others. It's not true faith, this kind of religious activity. Jesus has already said to those who are believing in him, one of the things that you are to do is your righteousness, in other words, your your pointedness and, and pattern of life towards God is to be greater than those who claim themselves to be the religious elite. Now let's see how they live. They live and they, they communicate, which prayer is, after all, a communication between uh, us and God. That's what prayer is. And yet they communicate in a way which does not reflect that. They communicate in a way which is most to do with others seeing me in that activity. Do you see that pattern of life? The way they're living. They want you to be seen. They want you to see them. They want you to see them living a pattern of life which is holy, which is religious. What does Jesus say? 
he says, well, there is a reward to that. There is a reward to living like that. And they've already had it. They've already had the reward. The reward that comes of that pattern of life is the shallow, temporary reward of being perceived by people around you as being religious. Now, I guess in our 21st century world, that is probably, for many, isn't quite so relevant, is it? And yet, at the same time, I would say that I want to just put a warning flag up and say, here we are, we're in a church. It is really easy to fall into exactly that pattern of life. Where our pattern of Christian living is shaped more so that others will see us rather than a true reflection of relationship. It's a warning flag, isn't it? It's a real danger that we can live like that. Where we are more conscious of those around us and we're more conscious of the things that we do so that we will impress people around us rather than knowing that prayer is a reflection of my communication with God. So there's the first warning. That's, if you like, that's kind of Christian religion. The second warning is even bigger. goes on to say, you... When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling on like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So here's the next phase that we've got. Prayer can be, firstly, it is that... What is it that Jesus is saying? He's saying it's that trust. It's a faith that says that if I go into a completely unseen by others place, and if I literally, quietly, whether I use audible words or whether I pray with the thoughts in my mind, whether it, when it is that self-contained moment of just me and God, do I believe that at that moment the simplicity, the simplicity of my words are being heard by God? That's what Jesus is encouraging us to think. Just, it is about, it's about a relationship. It's about a communication That's what it's about. When we spend time with friends, family, relations, whoever it might be, there's those times when we just get into a room, sit down with a coffee, we just chat. We don't need to impress other people, do we, as we're having that conversation. We don't need other people to be looking on and saying, oh yeah, you're chatting with so-and-so. No, because it's just a, it's a relationship that is going on. Do we believe that when we silently, in the quietness of our, of our own relationship with God, believe that that is what is going on? 
One of the marks, Jesus says, that we don't believe that is when we behave like mystical, repetitive pagans. It's the word that used. The word pagan there, it's a word which um, country dweller is the founder of the word. It's a word that was used in, in New Testament times to describe those who are still holding on to the mystical religions. Do we think that our relationship with God is that kind of mystical pattern of behavior where I'll, I'll eventually get through to God if I use lots of words and lots of repetition and lots of kind of incantations that's what Jesus is saying. Do you see, there is another way. We might hide away. Or we might do that. But we might think that rather than impressing people in this world, we'll impress God. We'll impress God by using lots of words and getting lots of, lots of rep repetitions. And eventually, if we keep on pummeling and pummeling and pummeling and using the right frame of words, eventually, suddenly, God is going to tune in and be impressed. It's not what a relationship is, is it? I want to encourage you this afternoon. I find, and probably like lots of us here, prayer is really hard. Prayer can be really hard. It is, for many of us, a tough business. And I think what Jesus is saying here gets to the very heart of why prayer is a tough business. Because we have a tendency to not really believe what is going on. We have a tendency to believe either that I've got to be seen by others as being religious, which is a measure that I don't believe what is going on, or I've got to find just the right words for God to accept me. I've got to either impress others or I've got to impress God. But that's not a relationship. I want to encourage you if, you, if you want a book on prayer, buy a book by Paul E. Miller, The Praying Life. It transformed my thinking of prayer. It's a fantastic book. What basically it gets down to is this. Prayer is about me just opening up, believing that my Father in heaven is hearing my voice. He hears me. He hears me as I am. In the words that I use. In the thoughts that I have. In the words that I find that I cannot quite put together. You know, the, encouragement, the encouraging thing is the Bible says just that. When we can't even put the words together. When we're just, if you like, figuratively groaning because we can't work out what to say. Then because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then, then the Holy Spirit frames a communication with the Father in heaven that connects us. Because that is what is going on when we are praying. It's about believing that as we live in this world, as we work out how to live wisely in this world, we are not alone, but we are connected to God in heaven. There is a connection. That's what prayer is. It is, a, it is a connection with the eternal dimension. 
It's not, it's not a mystical business. It's a true reality. I've had the privilege in this past week of sharing with somebody who said that there was a moment in their life, in their experience just recently, where just alone they knew. Nothing, nothing amazing, nothing miraculous, nothing dramatic. They just knew that God was with them and that they were with God. Just because the words of His Word and the response to prayer became real. It, it always is real. And then every now and then God grants us the understanding to realize how real it is. But it is a connection. It's living now in this world, recognizing that there is something more. So Jesus goes on and says, so pray like this. What does prayer look like? What does prayer look like? It's very often said that the Lord's Prayer is kind of a structure or a model. It doesn't mean that every time we pray, we pray like this. But I think there are two distinct ways, that, two distinct factors which really come to mind. Really, it's in simple terms, you know, here's the thing. We could spend the next six months working through the Lord's Prayer and thinking about prayer. But we're just going to take it in two big chunks. The first chunk is this, a desire for God's kingdom. It's all about Him. That's the first section. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let's reflect past few weeks we've been looking at how to live in this world and Jesus opens by saying this is how you are to pray. You are to pray with a desire that God's kingdom or if you like the values, the presence, the attitudes of what it is to be the kingdom of heaven might be worked out in this world. When Jesus says, right, here's your attitude to your friends. Here's your attitude to sexual relationships. Here's your attitude to marriage. Here's your attitude to your enemies. Imagine if all of those were worked out by every single person in the whole of the world all of the time. What would that look like? It would look like the kingdom of heaven has broken into this world. It would look like the kingdom of heaven is now established where everybody is living appropriately according to the way that Jesus would have us live. Because living it out is what the kingdom looks like. And our opening prayer is to say, Father in heaven, I want that kind of kingdom. I want that kind of kingdom in this world now. Do you feel that sometimes? Do you look around and see the way the world is, see the way relationships are, being on the receiving end, being on the, uh, the contributing end of broken relationships, of challenges, of strife, of pain, of hurt, knowing that we are both victims and perpetrators? Don't you yearn deep down for a different kind of world? Don't you wish that the world was a different place? And this prayer says it is entirely appropriate to say I want to see that 
because I know that it is happening now in heaven. See that? See the way Jesus frames that? May your kingdom come in this world because I know it is in heaven. The word that we could use there is, it's eschatological. It means it's looking towards the end. It's a prayer which is saying, I'm asking for this now. I'm hoping for this now. But I know that it is going to happen. I know that one day your kingdom will be established in this world. This is not an empty prayer which is hopeless because it's never going to happen. It's a prayer which every time we pray, we can say, this will happen one day. The kingdom of heaven is going to explode into this world and it is going to be so radically transformed that all of the things and the patterns of living that we've seen in these past weeks that we know that we cannot keep, we will instinctively keep day by day because we are transformed to be like him. What a world that is going to be. Do you want that world? Or secretly do we still want to live it with me being the center? I want your world, I want your values, I want your kingdom to be established. Secondly, we see an utter dependence upon God. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So if you like, the first is saying, I want your kingdom, I want your values, and the second is, I am utterly dependent upon you day by day to live in this world now. I'm dependent on you. Give us today our daily bread. We, we, live, in, we live in an incredibly, incredibly prosperous part of the world. Just switch your TV on. And look around the world and you realize we, we are faced with challenges in this country. I absolutely can see that. And yet at the same time, we are privileged. We know that. That even in our prosperous country, there are some who would see the relevance of give us today our daily bread. It's not an empty plea. Do you see how that is connected to the kingdom? It's connected to the desire for the kingdom to break in. We live in a world where that's a reality, that there are some even in our land who tomorrow might not know how they are going to eat. And yet the kingdom wouldn't be like that and there wouldn't be a horrific imbalance in this world. A horrific imbalance with shocking waste in certain parts of the world and shocking need in other parts of the world. That's the world that we live in. And yet the kingdom of heaven breaking in, the kingdom of Jesus, will not look like that. And yet in the meantime, I am dependent upon God every single day to eat. In other words, my ability to, to eat tomorrow is not my ingenuity. It's not my skill. It feels like 
And yet the reality is that that's not the case. The world could change in a moment, transformed in a moment, and all of a sudden we might realize how utterly dependent we are upon God. <laughs> there's, there's kind of a bit of a genre going on in various movies. That uh, I watched The Book of Eli a few weeks ago, which is um, a really interesting book, fascinating book, uh, how in, the, in, in a kind of post-apocalyptic uh, place of horror where this kind of thing is absolutely real, suddenly something about the Word of God becomes an essential guiding factor. Watch the book, it's re- uh, watch the film, it's really quite interesting. bit gory for those of you who might not want to watch that kind of thing. But at the same time, here's the thing. It does portray a reality which in a moment this world could change for every one of us as secure as we feel. Give us this day our daily bread. Secondly, what have we been saying right the way through this various, uh, these various um, talks through the, the, the first part of the five, chapter 5 and chapter 6? We've been saying this. Firstly, we need to forgive those who have offended us. And secondly, we need to live in a completely different way, which is unachievable in human terms. And therefore, we need to pray. We are dependent upon God to forgive those who are in debt against us. And secondly, to be kept from temptation. We've been saying, now... Make your righteousness greater than the Pharisees. Make it that big. Be that. And we've been saying, but I can't do that. It's beyond me. What tools have I got? How can I equip myself to be that? And Jesus says, right, at least the start of you equipping yourself is to say you can't do it and to ask God. Break into my life in such a way that I get changed. That I'm kept from the temptations that are instinctively my kind of problem. Your temptations are different to mine, quite likely. My temptations are different to your temptations, quite likely. And yet at the same time, we are of one in the sense that we are dependent upon God to break into our lives to keep us from those very temptations that we would fall into. And and how do we live? We live with a mentality that says, if I really pull up my bootstraps, if I try really hard to be a better Christian, I'm going to do it. And Jesus says, stop. Ask. Plead for help. Because you can't do it. It's grace breaking into your life that makes it possible. Not your success. So ask. Because he's the kind of father which, who will not hold back on any good thing when his children ask for it. You'll be reminded. I'll be reminded. I won't get it all. I'll carry on falling into temptation. I'll carry on, but little by little I'll begin to learn, begin to understand actually how dependent I am upon God. Because really it's my rebellion that causes me to fall into temptation. It's what we see in the Old Testament in God's people. 
It's their rebellion that causes them to fall into temptation. And it is God's mercy that continually brings them out, encourages them, helps them, recovers them. It is grace. And yet, how often do we live asking? (laughs) And the reason, the reason for this, that we should live like this, is because God has first forgiven us. That, I mean, in a sense, we can, we can see this more clearly than the disciples who were sat with Jesus at, uh, on the hillside, as Jesus said this. He said, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How does the Father forgive our sins? Ignore them? No. He forgives them in His Son. That's what we see now. Jesus is the one who's nailed to a cross so that we can be forgiven. So that we can be. Because God has to deal with the problem of sin. And in this amazing, mind-blowing structure of the salvation, He says, I will forgive you. But your attitude then needs to be, because I have forgiven you, then your attitude needs to be forgiveness to others around you. It is a massive job to forgive people who have offended us horribly, terribly, awfully, isn't it? It's a terrible job. In fact, we haven't got the ability to forgive others until we realize how much we've been forgiven. Until we begin to see little by little that forgiveness is possible because we have first been forgiven. We might not feel it. It's a journey. It relies on justice and mercy. But essentially we need to live without hypocrisy, don't we? It's what Jesus is saying. So that's the first thing he says right now. (laughs) Don't worry, next bit's really quick. (laughs) He says, right, live like you're connected to heaven and the way that you do that is through prayer. Then we get on to this next one where he talks about fasting. Because there's exactly the same pattern. Exactly the same pattern. You know, fasting is one of those things, let's withdraw from food for a period of time. And now let's make it really obvious that I'm withdrawing from food for a period of time. Let's make my face kind of really kind of gray and drawn and everybody will look on and say, what a holy person because they're withdrawing from food to be really spiritual and really focused on God. And Jesus says, that's the reward. It's the reward. It's as good as it gets. Is being seen by people around you. No, what you're to do is get up in the morning and wash your face and and put a bright face on and commit yourself to this act of fasting and then go out and do your day's work. And we say, whoa, hang on. Fasting? What's that all about? And it's quite simply this. It is finding an expression of saying, I am not tied to this world. That's what fasting is. Jesus is saying, in a world where literally 
the next bit of food, the next meal was the essential element we lived to eat in that age of Jesus' hearers. He's saying it is perfectly reasonable to spend a period of time where you live in a way which says, I'm not dependent on that. That is not what it's all about. For a moment in time, for a day, I'm just going to put that to one side and I'm just going to go about my daily life without that dependence and focusing my mind on the fact that my day-to-day existence is not dependent on this world. I am connected to the next world. I am connected to eternity. Do you get that idea about fasting? It is not necessarily specific, I am my conviction, it is not necessarily specifically the idea of withdrawing from food. Once we've got that in our minds, what do we need to fast from? What are we connected to? A carefully chosen word. What are we connected to? Which if we do not have for a day, we feel as if our world is falling apart. I am disconnected. I'm not in touch. It might be that our social media connections are precisely the kind of dependence on relationships, dependent on this world, which I need to just withdraw for a period of time and say, let's get myself recentered. Let's get myself balanced again. Let's realize that it's not all about these connections, which are so temporary. There's a greater connection that I need to have absolutely in place. It might be that. It might be something else for you, which you could not do without. But one way or another, I think Jesus is saying this. Take moments in your life to to find tangible ways to disconnect from your security in this world and focus on your security in the next. Because after all, It is Jesus who is on the throne. That's the reality. He is on the throne. He is returning. Therefore, everything that I create my dependence upon in this world is passing. Disconnect. And that is living by faith. Because we can't see that, can we? And yet we believe it to be true. 